Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Message Mornings. It is brilliant that you have joined us. If you're watching us live, if you're catching up, it's great to see you. My name is Sarah Small. I'm the head of the Eden Network here at The Message. And uh, when I'm not here, then I'm mainly hanging around my little estate of Merseybank in South Manchester, uh, attempting to bring up two small boys, uh, maintain a marriage and uh, help run a local church as well. So uh, it's quite a busy time at the moment. Lots of stuff going on with COVID, lots of really local focus, which is really great and also super frustrating, isn't it? Not being able to get really into people's homes, into people's lives and be hospitable, which is one of the main reasons that I love living where I live because I can have my friends around. But that's enough about me and enough about what's going on. So for the next nine sessions, I'm going to be sharing with you about the book of Philippians. Um, Why have I picked the book of Philippians, you might ask? Uh, Why are we going to be journeying through it? Well, it's really short, which is fantastic, isn't it? Um, so often books of the Bible are massive and they're really hard to read through in one go and really get an overview of what um, God is trying to say and what Jesus is trying to teach us. But Philippians is a lovely short book, four chapters. Um, it's something that you can read all in one go and I'd really encourage you to do that. It's such a good practice reading a whole book of the Bible in one go and this is certainly achievable. And let me also say this as we start out, even if you're super new to faith, even if you're new to reading the Bible, God is a great teacher. The Holy Spirit is a great teacher. People like me, people who um, teach the Bible, people who lead churches, you know, they can hear God, but you can hear God too. If you open his word, if you read it, if you pray to him, and if you ask him what he wants to tell you, there's always stuff that he can say to you. So read the Bible, open it up. My challenge to you is read the book of Philippians for yourself over and over because there's really great stuff to be found in there. It's not just short, it's really positive. Like, I don't know about you, but I love positive news stories. I love encouragement. I love affirmation, especially at the moment when society is so void of good news, is so rife with criticism and negativity and division. This is a fantastic book. It's full of joy. It's full of of affirmation. It's full of encouragement and it's really positive. And finally, if you've knocked around the church for a while, then it's also super familiar. There's loads of really encouraging passages in there that you will have heard before. Things like, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. Things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Things like press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards. You'll recognise loads of this stuff. But let's not get comfortable. Let's not get familiar with the scriptures. Because actually, when you dig into the book of Philippians, you will find it is incredibly challenging. It talks to us about the nature of sacrifice. It talks to us about the nature of life and death and what a life worth living looks like. It challenges us to community. It challenges us to perseverance, even in the face of persecution, opposition and rejection. So we're going to have loads of fun. We're going to be really challenged as we journey through this book together. So the church in Philippi was the church that Paul was writing the letter to the Philippians to. 
You can read about it in Acts 16. It's a church that nearly never happened because Paul didn't really plan to go there. Paul was planning to go to Asia and it talks about him being stopped by the Holy Spirit, which is a crazy picture, isn't it? I'm not really sure how that really happened. Did like the Holy Spirit just turn up and, you know, stand in his way and say, no, you shall not pass. I, I, I don't know how your mind works, how you picture these things. But Paul was stopped from going into Asia and he had this dream. And in his dream, a man from Macedonia, which is the region where Philippi is, said, come here and help me. He was called specifically to this place. And the city of Philippi was strategic. It was the first city in Europe where the church was born, where the church was planted. It was a Roman colony. It was full of soldiers. It was full of merchants. They had little room for religion. There wasn't even a synagogue in that place. When Paul went, he had to go down to the river to find anyone who had any sympathy with the Jewish faith. And there he found the first convert, a lady called Lydia. She was a seller of purple cloth, it says, a merchant, a tradeswoman, a professional. And she accepted the message readily and she welcomed Paul and his friends into her home. And the first church was born out of hospitality, out of obedience and led by a woman. The second thing that happened in Philippi was a bunch of crazy power encounters. Paul was stalked by this slave girl who kept um, shouting after him. She was possessed by a demon and she kept shouting after him, here is the one who is a servant of the Most High King. And again, I love this story because Paul doesn't just um, sort her out because he cares. He just gets really annoyed with her, he says. He gets annoyed with her following him round and so he casts out the demon. But in so doing, he creates a problem for himself because her owners get annoyed. She was making them money telling fortunes and suddenly they've lost their income. So Paul and his friend Silas get chucked into prison and the third incredible power encounter happens because when they're in prison at midnight singing hymns, as you, as you would, would you? I'm not sure I would. Um, there's a huge earthquake and their chains come off and the jailer is just about to throw himself on his sword because he's let the prisoners go when Paul shares the gospel with him as well. And he and his family accept the faith. They become Christians. They put their trust in Jesus. And so the church in Philippi is born in households and in families as they accept Paul, they accept his message. But there's persecution, there's opposition. The Roman people do not like these religious beliefs. They do not like this new thing. And Paul and Silas are ultimately kicked out of town and rejected. And this is where we find the church in Philippi. As we read, they're still being persecuted by the community in which they're placed. They're still experiencing challenges with one another. They're not exactly a unified bunch of people. They wouldn't necessarily hang out in real life. And they're isolated from the wider church body. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Anyone on Eden feel isolated from the wider church? Anyone church planting the first followers with no history of anything else like what you've done? Are you a new Christian with your family in lockdown thinking, I'm the odd one out here and I wish they'd get it and I'm so frustrated because I'm alone in this. There's so much that this book has to say to us. So this now gets us to the letter of Philippians. And this is like the best thank you letter that you ever receive. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my mum and my dad were very strict about writing thank you letters. So every Christmas, every birthday, a couple of days later, they'd get the pens and the paper out and I'd have to go through and write a list and say thank you to my grandma and granddad and auntie such and such and uncle so and so. And 
and, and write them all a little letter. And it was a right pain. It took forever and it just felt really laborious. But as I've grown, that, that, um, that practice has actually embedded in me and the importance of it has sunk in. And now I, I love to receive a handwritten letter. And so I know the value of writing one and sending one as well. One of my most precious things in our house is a box of letters that I keep under my bed in the hope that if we ever have to evacuate quickly, I can grab it and get out the door along with the kids, obviously, and Steve. But, um, but I love to have these, these written um, records of a, a deep relationships that I have. They're really precious to me. Uh, and particularly now when people have to invest a small fortune in posting them to you. It's good to send and receive letters. Here's a little challenge. Why don't you do that today? Write your pen and paper and send someone an encouraging letter that's going to really bless them and that they'll treasure. Okay, let's actually get into the passage. Now we've had all the context. So we're going to read today from the book of Philippians and we're going to start at the beginning. So chapter one, verses one to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a great start to a letter. And if we look even right at that very beginning, you know, just the addressing, which we never really pay any attention to, do we, when we read letters it says who it's from and it says who they are Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus right at the start of this letter Paul establishes something about kingdom priorities about kingdom leadership he doesn't say Paul and Timothy your leaders Paul and Timothy your teachers Paul and Timothy the great apostles he says Paul and Timothy servants of Christ he um he establishes Christ's um, leadership of him. He establishes Christ's primacy in his life. He establishes that he is nothing but a servant of Christ. That is his sole identity. That is the most important defining factor of who he is. And then secondarily, he goes on to say, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus, together with the overseers and deacons. Again, he tells us a little bit about kingdom order here. This is to all of the Christians and the leaders, of course. This is the upside down kingdom that Paul is referencing, where the first are last, where the leaders are the servants. He reminds us of this kingdom order where all is about sacrifice and about servanthood, not about leadership and getting ahead and pushing forward. 
they have this thing in common. They are all in Christ. They are all God's people. And he establishes this right at the start of the letter. And there are three things that I want to just focus on from these few verses that we've read today. Three little um, insights, perhaps, that I'd like to bring to us. And the first one is praise. See, this, as I mentioned before, is a super positive letter. Why? Because it's written by someone who genuinely loves and values and appreciates the people he's writing to. Look at what he says. He says, I thank God. I pray with joy. I have you in my heart. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. These are deep feelings that Paul is talking about. This is deep love that he has for these people. Do we have that love for our churches? Do we have that love for our communities? Do we have that love for fellow Christians? Uh, I'm sure many of us can think of times when we haven't, and yet Paul is able to speak um, positively. He's able to speak encouragingly because he has a love in his heart that is not just a human, humanly love, but it's God's love for those people. He isn't encouraging, he isn't um, correcting any wrongdoing. He isn't um, talking about any problems or criticism. He's just bringing encouragement. He's talking about the joy that they bring him. And next week, we'll look at this a little bit more. But Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's writing this letter in isolation. He's writing this letter in captivity. He's writing this letter at a tough time in his life. And yet throughout this book, he talks of a joy, a deep joy. He's so positive despite his circumstances. It's powerful. It's deep. It's really challenging, I think, to talk about joy when circumstances are dire, when things are awful. Even right now, the COVID pandemic has caused so many of us to be so down, so frustrated, to have lost so much. And yet, could we imagine a joy like Paul talks about actually residing in us and being our primary emotion at this time? It's a challenge, isn't it? After praise, he also talks about partnership. Paul values their partnership in the gospel. You know, Eden is all about partnership. We work in partnership with local churches and the churches join in partnership with the other churches in their region. And we have a network where we partner together and support each other and cheer each other on and equip each other because it's tough work that we do trying to reach communities. There's an African proverb, it's my favourite one, and it says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We need one another. We need to be together. We need to partner in this gospel. You might be an amazing preacher. You might be a fantastic evangelist. You might have the biggest call of God on your life. But if you go it alone, you will stumble and you will fall because you need people to pick you up and cheer you on. Even Moses, it talks about, doesn't it, in the Bible, he became weary and he needed people to hold his arms up in prayer and sustain him. We need one another. And what was great about these partners? Well, they received the gospel quickly. Lydia straight away receives the gospel. The jailer straight away receives the gospel. Come and tell my family. Come and stay at my house. Come and accept my hospitality. And they persevere in it. This is years later from those, uh, from those um, events that the gospel is, is still being spread. They're still partnering. They're still telling people about Jesus. And it's not just a partnership between humans. It's a partnership that is brokered in heaven. It's a partnership that is sustained by the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership that comes under the leadership of God. 
And it's not been easy for them. There's no history of Christianity for them. There's barely even a history of Judaism in that place. There's no heritage. There's no neighbors they can call on for help. They're, they don't fit with the local culture. They are persecuted. They are outcasts. They are seen as oddities in their culture. They don't even always get along with each other, which you, know, you may have seen in church as well. So they're up against it. But they know that God is powerful. They've seen him move. They've seen him do amazing things. They know this truth that often we uh, just trot out really quickly, that he who began a good work in them will carry it on. And that's not because they're working really hard. It's not because they're trying really hard. It's not even because they're really great people to start off with. It's because God will accomplish the work that he has started. And it's him that they have their trust in. It's him that they have their faith in. It's not Paul's work or their work. It's God's work that will be accomplished. And the third thing that I'd love to draw out of this passage is about Paul's prayer. So we've talked about the praise, we've talked about the partnership, and now I want to talk about prayer. Paul prayed a beautiful prayer for these people. When do we pray? Often we pray when things are tough, when we're in crisis. Apparently the most commonly prayed prayer by the majority of people in Britain is God help me. Uh, whether that's it, when you're driving, whether that's when life is tough, uh, whatever the situations, you know, often we turn to God for help, don't we? Often we're asking him, God, fix this. God, get me out of here. God, sort this thing out for me because I can't cope. It's too horrible. It's too tough. I don't like it. That's definitely been my experience many, many times in life. Steve and I had been married for five or six years and decided it was time for the pitter-patter of tiny feet and did what you need to do for that to happen. And, uh, and it didn't. It didn't happen. And I kept praying for months and months and months and months. God, change this. God, make it happen. God, change my circumstances. Come on, God, everybody else in the world seems to think about it once or accidentally it happens and not for us. So what's going on? Change it, shift it. And eventually it did happen, but it took a while. But I don't want to, um, but in that time, God changed something in me. But it took me a long time to get to that prayer to say, God, make me patient. God, help me know about your timing. God, help me submit to your will. You see, we pray about the externals so often, but God wants us to pray more often about the internals. And that's what we see Paul doing in this passage. We see him not praying for them to not be persecuted. He ain't praying for a hedge of protection around them or even a shrub. He isn't praying for himself to get out of prison. He isn't praying for, you know, revival to happen even. He's praying for them to grow in love. He's praying for them to be changed from the inside out because that is where transformation comes from. Often we focus so much on the externals of a situation. God change that family. God heal that person. God sought out this. And there is obviously merit in doing that. And God tells us to pray and intercede for things. But are we also praying, God change me? God work in me? I'm really challenged when it comes to transformation. And that's a real big word for us in Eden. We talk about community transformation. And we have high expectations that our communities will change, that individuals will change radically. But we don't seem to hold that same expectation for ourselves. We don't seem to believe that we still need to transform 
that there's stuff still for God to do in us, or at least we don't pursue that wholeheartedly often. We're always looking for someone else to move further than perhaps we're prepared to move ourselves. It's a challenge, isn't it? See, Paul prays for the Philippians to have more love, to have more knowledge and wisdom, to have more discernment, to have more holiness, to have more fruit, to have more righteousness, to have good character. It's all about the internal life. Why? So they'll be more mature. So they'll have more impact. Our character matters more to God than our circumstances. And prayer is a key to seeing this change. Prayer and action. It's our life's work. It's our life's challenge to actually live out that daily sacrifice, that daily putting God first, putting God in the driving seat, letting God have control of our lives, letting him change us from the inside out. In Romans 12, Paul talks about being a living sacrifice. The thing about sacrifices was usually that they were dead. It was a one-off. It was a done deal. Sacrifice happened, done. We don't die as such when we become Christians, but there is a daily process of death in us, a daily process of putting to death our sinful desires, our selfishness, our wants, our needs, our self-centeredness. So much of our life is about what I want, what I need, what's going to make me feel good, what's going to do good for me in this situation. God is calling us to sacrifice those things, to sacrifice those attitudes, to sacrifice that pursuit for him, to put him in first place, to do what he wants to do. And as we go through the book again, we'll see the example of Jesus referenced time and again as the one whom we are to follow, the one whom we are to imitate. We need prayer and we need action. One of my favourite authors is C.S. Lewis. I read uh, books by him quite regularly. I'm just going through the Chronicles of Narnia with our son, which is fab, and I'm sure I'll integrate some of that in future weeks. But when talking about making a change, he says this, and this is in Mere Christianity. He says, after each failure, ask forgiveness. Pick yourself up and try again. Very often what God helps us towards is not the virtue itself, but just this power of trying again. Trying again, he says, teaches us to depend upon God. We learn on the one hand that we cannot trust ourselves, even in our best moments, and on the other that we do not need to despair, even in our worst, for our failures are forgiven. The only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. Don't settle, that's what he's saying. Don't stop trying. Don't stop growing. Don't stop pushing in. Don't stop transforming. Don't think you've arrived because he who began a good work in you has got work to do to carry on until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's not today, or at least it's not right now. It might be later. But there's work for him to do in each of us. There's work for us to partner with in, partner with him to do. So a few challenges as we start to wrap up this morning. What does servanthood, what does sacrifice look for you right now? It's not so much about the externals. It's not necessarily about relocating to a a neighbourhood that you wouldn't necessarily go to. It's not necessarily about joining Eden or, or, you know, giving up something really meaningful in your life. They're all external things and they're great things, but they have to come first from a sacrificed heart, a sacrificed attitude. Otherwise, you'll find yourself stuck 
when you get to those external places. Who's first place in your life right now? Is it Jesus or is it you? Is it his will or is it your will? Maybe you need to spend some time praying about that after this. Secondarily, who is cheering you along? Who is encouraging you? Who's on your team? Who are you partnering with? It talks in the Bible, it says it's not good for people to be alone. It's not good for us to work in solitude. It's not good for us to be separated. Hasn't the pandemic taught us that? The cruelest thing about coronavirus is that it has made our neighbour, it has made our fellow human a risk and a threat and someone to be avoided. And that is hideous because that is so not what God says about us. We are not a threat. We are not to be othered. We are not to be divided. We're supposed to be together. We're made for one another. Who can you cheer on in this season? Who can you encourage? Because we all need a bit of encouragement. We all need a bit of courage. That is what encouragement means, to put someone into a place of courage as we persevere through these, these, these days and the challenges that they bring. And finally, what are you praying at the moment? Are you praying for your circumstances to change? I know I'm praying for schools to start again. I know I'm praying for the day when I can get a babysitter. I know I'm praying for the day when I can get on a mountain. I'm praying for the day when I can hug my mum and dad. They're all external things. They're all things I want to see happening. But am I also praying, God, change my heart. Give me patience. Give me perseverance. Give me courage. Give me the ability to encourage others. Give me greater love in this season. Can you pray that? Let's just quickly pray together now. Lord, we offer ourselves to you again this morning. God, we give you our hearts. We commit to giving it daily to you. God, help us. Help us to help each other. And more than that, Lord, help us to transform more and more into your image. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>